Wildling Press presents How Do I Book? Welcome to How Do I Book by Wildling Press. We like to chat about book writing, book publishing, book marketing, and of course, book reading. We're trying to help new and experienced authors develop their craft, widen their perspectives, and learn to get a little wild every once in a while. I am Grace Ball. I'm Christina Kahn. I'm Mary Peyton Crook. And today, we are talking about film faves and failures. Pretty good pronunciation. Oh yeah, I really tried my very, very best. Um, yeah, all about those book-to-film adaptations, because there have been so many. Such a controversial topic, honestly. Yeah. I feel like we're taking on a lot. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> we're each going to talk a little bit about our favorites and our least favorites, because there has to be a favorite, there has to be a least favorite. Christina, can you please tell us what your most favorite book-to-film adaptation is? There's, like, so many that are done so well. Uh, I feel bad picking one. Like, I feel bad not picking the BBC Pride and Prejudice. I feel bad not picking Romeo and Juliet. I, this is my way of answering with, like, six different answers. <laughs> <laughs> You're cheating the system. <laughs> this is how I feel about the worst ones, too. It's hard. It's I feel bad for only picking one because there are so many bad ones. <laughs> I feel very strongly about my worst. It's the worst movie I've ever seen in my life, but we'll get there. My favorite book-to-film adaptation is the His Dark Material series, which uh, was originally written by Philip Pullman, and it's being adapted into a TV show on Amazon. Um, So it's not a film, but it is film. Well, films aren't even film anymore, right? Am I right? Right. I don't know. You're right. I don't know how film and TV You're continuing to cheat the system, but that's (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not talking about the 2007 film, The Golden Compass. Thank God. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about the Amazon TV adaptation, His Dark Materials. And my little caveat here is that the third season has not yet released, so it could ruin everything for me. Much like the last season of Game of Thrones. Oh my god. (laughs) But so far, so good. Is the third season of the show going to be the last season? Yes, because I think that I personally have talked at length, and we've probably talked at length before, about how... Adapting a science fiction or a fantasy book into a film is like not fair because it is not enough time to both establish your world and do the plot. Mm -hmm. So I really like that His Dark Materials is doing one book per season. And so it's really able to take its time showing you the world. I was going to say there's it's even bigger. There's multiple worlds. Spoiler. No spoilers. No, (laughs) the multiverse is everywhere. Don't worry about it. I consider that to be a minor spoiler. But basically, like, the book series is so complex. It's so out of this world joke. <laughs> it's so multifaceted. The characters are so complex. Like, it it does so much. It's a book series for children about killing God. Don't let that dissuade you. Um, <laughs> it's, like, it's so complicated. And the show is doing all of that work. And... It's doing everything that an adaptation should do, right? It's casting people of color where the original text had white people. It's developing plot lines that it has time for, not at the expense of 
the plot that existed in the book, but it's like adding stuff that you are actually wondering about while you were reading the books. It's like doing everything right. I I was really hard pressed to find even like a single omission from the TV that I didn't fully agree with. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I just love it. Like it's just it's just a great adaptation. And so season one is based on the first book, The Golden Compass. (laughs) Spoiler alert, it's not a compass. Season two is based on the second book in the series, which is The Subtle Knife, which is one of my favorite books of all time. One of the only trilogies, I th- probably the only trilogy I've ever read where I think the second book is the strongest. Yeah, wow, that never happens. I'll let you know if it ever happens again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and season three is slated for release sometime this year, and that's based on the final book in the trilogy, which is, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Wait, no, don't tell me. Oh my god, don't tell me what the name of that book is. The Amber Spyglass. It's a very cool title. Yeah, they're all really cool. Not really a spyglass, not really a knife, not really a compass, but that's okay. (laughs) So there. Okay, great. Mary Payton, please let us know, what is your favorite book-to-film adaptation? Mine's actually an older one. Mine is Anne of Green Gables. You are so classy. Have you guys seen that film? I have not, and I've not read it either, really. Same. So, so good. I actually... This might also be a little bit of why, but I saw the film before reading the book. Oh, I see. I know, I know. But but the movie is like a classic over time. And I think there are a lot of reasons why. It's from 1985. And I remember being little and um, we had the VHS tapes. Uh, dating myself. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. Throwback. It came on two VHS tapes because it didn't fit on one. Oh, Yeah. Which honestly, Very practical. honestly, as a book reader, <laughs> I feel like that's just always a good sign to me, you know, that like, mm-hmm. because one of the main issues that people have with adaptations is that the film can never fit into it, what the book fits into it. It just gets so much yeah. deeper. So, you know, even if it still didn't put everything in there, seeing that the film is really long is always like a joy to a reader, I feel like. The adaptation was so good because the book is all about the characters, obviously mostly about the character of Anne, who was adopted by an older couple and they had planned to adopt a son. They, you know, they're getting older. They work on a farm. It's been a while since I've seen it, but they work on like a farm kind of situation and they were looking to adopt a son who could help them with all these manly chores. And they somehow end up with a girl. And... So there's a lot of like tension over that in the beginning and that sort of sets the stage for Anne and who she is and what young women were expected to be at that time and how she didn't fit into that box at all. So it was I loved it especially as a young girl and I think it just holds true now and the acting is so good, the writing was excellent. Do you recommend watching the film before reading the book? Oh, uh probably. I mean I I would always say no to that. Just as a general principle. Yeah, just, I mean, the books, you know, they always go deeper than, than the film. And I actually, I really wish that I had read the book before the film. Okay, so definitely don't. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there you okay. Go. Um, <laughs> because, you know, you always, it's more fun as a reader when you get to try and picture these people in your head before you see what other people have imagined for it. Totally. So, yeah, but but just, yeah, excellent in general. What about you, Grace? Oh, well, I feel now like mine's kind of random, but perfect. I think the best book to film adaptation is Practical Magic. Woo! Solid. I love, I've never read the book, but I love that movie. Me too. 
<laughs> I uh I do. I love that movie. I watched it when I was, you know, probably like a preteen, so it was like a formative experience. And I read the book kind of recently, like within the last couple years. I actually didn't even know that it was a book. I always just thought it was a very cool witchy movie and was delighted to find out that it was a book. So, of course, I had to read it immediately, and it's by the author Alice Hoffman, and I know that, um, Christina, you've read a lot of Alice Hoffman's work and just love it. Yeah, so. I call her my favorite author, not because she, well, she wrote one of my favorite books, but like pretty much everything of hers I pick up, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I vibe with this. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's a vibe. And I found out recently that she has 98 books. Oh my Insane. gosh. So yeah, so I also obviously watched this movie before I read the book, but I think that the movie did a great job of just like putting together all of the best parts from the book and and just bopping them into the movie because the book does a lot of cool stuff just like digging more into uh, familial relationships. Like for example, the daughters and the book are a lot more involved in the story. Dude, Alice Hoffman loves writing about mothers, daughters, sisters. Yes, she did. She did that. But, you know, when it comes to the movie, like, that's just not as interesting. So I've, well, I don't want to make it sound bad like that. But I think, I just think that they were like, all right, these are the best bits. And we are going to stick really closely to those bits and show the people that. And so, yeah, I just think that it was really artfully done. And I think that individually, like separately from each other, they're both great. Love them both. But as far as an effective adaptation, I just I just love that one. All right, now it's the sad part. <laughs> no, it's well, not. kind of the fun they part. They should have it's done kind better, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. Okay, Mary Payton, talk to us. Talk to us about your uh, opinion on the worst film adaptation. Okay, well, Christina had actually stolen my worst one in her bonus Oh, breaking those rules. Sorry. Oh my God, we're gonna fight. <laughs> There's gonna be a fight. You but... can talk about it. Okay, okay. okay. No, 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 we'll no, no. It. It's okay. We'll talk about it. Uh, but it's a similar reason when we get to it. So my worst adaptation was the Chronicles of Narnia: Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So this series of books by C.S. Lewis was one of those that, you know, when I first read them in elementary school, when I just started, they blew my mind. They were not only taking place in this beautiful fantasy world where you know anything was possible but there was also like real darkness you know the the absolute best fantasy series in my mind and i think in general are ones that like that explore some real darkness some real scary stuff even even if the audience is children Mm -hmm. um philip pullman does a really great job of doing that um (laughs) let's kill god Oh, yeah. Just go right in for it, Philip. It's not like that. <laughs> no. I swear it's no. not like that. <laughs> I remember reading that scene, not to veer off into Philip Pullman, but I remember reading that scene and being like, oh, uh, am I? Should I be reading? All right. <laughs> yeah, like the first book, you're like, this is a little anti-church. Weird. And then by the third book, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you had no idea. This is We're undoing the entire like Christian system here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No big deal. Just for kids. It's just for kids. But that is so important, that darkness. And the best, I, I honestly can't put it into words what it is that good children's middle grade YA authors do where they can they can dive into these really dark adult themes in a way that m- makes it possible for, for younger 
kids and um, teens to process without yeah. making it juvenile. It sounds like it doesn't make any sense. Kind of like Avatar The Last Airbender, which I know you're in the process of watching right now. It's like the world's evil, but kids live in the world. So let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it might be that there. there's like, yes, the world is evil. There are these bad things that happen. And these books dive into, like, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe dives into some really dark stuff. But there's always hope. Maybe that's the difference. Like, yeah. adults are kind of jaded and a lot of the, a lot of the Adults books, don't need hope. So the books, and especially the book, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is just one in the series, really was just so engaging for me as a kid and so scary and then good. But the movie, man, it was just so disappointing. And I had... I mean, I had really high hopes for it, and that might—that's probably part of the reason. Never have high hopes for a Never. film adaptation. I of know, a book. I know. I've learned so. I learned that every time, and every time I forget it. Whenever I watch a mo- an yeah. adaptation, but it just a lot of the worst ones to me sort of gloss over that dark stuff and care more about how it looks or mm-hmm. you know the cinematic stuff that they can do the 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 cool action scenes. They just are- want to flex. Yeah, yeah. And that's important. I get it. But not at the expense of Yeah, especially when you're taking story. a book series or a book that's so popular that you know a lot of the people watching the movies have read it. You got to mm-hmm. stay true to that kind of darkness. And I feel like a lot of those film adaptations for younger generations really miss that. Yeah. All right, Christina, you're up. <laughs> Let me tell you about the worst night of my life. <laughs> 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 the worst film and the worst film adaptation of a book that I have ever watched is a really loose way of describing what I was doing with this film. I think enduring is a more appropriate term. <laughs> the 1984 Dune adaptation. And um, we usually try not to read directly from the script for these podcast episodes, but I'm going to read exactly what I wrote because I stand by my language. <laughs> This film is an insult to the original text, its beautiful and cerebral themes, and its vast and fiercely devoted fan base. The film is too long by about two hours, and yet somehow it fails to explain properly even the most foundational concepts from the novel. Granted, the novel is dense, vast, and epic, but the movie seems to have truly turned its nose up at the source material the way a child quits school band when they can't master the trumpet within a week. The ubiquitous touch of the mid-80s did not help. Do not watch. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now that the new adaptation came out, what are your thoughts? It's great. Watch that one. Okay. (laughs) Okay, great. The new Dune film film adaptations is being released in three parts, which is a great alternative to the this should probably be a TV show problem is like take one Mm -hmm. book, make it into three movies that are each three hours long. The new Dune adaptation was so good that I kind of can't talk about it because it hurts. Aww. <laughs> it's beautiful. I love that. It is. Especially after watching the 1984 version. What are we doing? <laughs> it's like a. I knew the plot. I knew the whole plot. I've read this book several times. I know the plot backwards and forwards. I was watching the movie and I had no idea what was happening. Isn't that crazy how, how things can happen like that? I had a teacher... In college, I'd already taken college level stats in high school, and I took stats again in college and unlearned it because the teacher was like <laughs> so confusing. Whoa! And, oh no, man! 
All right, Grace, what's your worst film adaptation? All right. (laughs) The worst one is Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief. And uh, I feel like a little bit weird saying that because I haven't actually seen it. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I've seen it. I would love to corroborate everything you say. That's what I'm saying. Like, everyone else has seen it and has told me, never watch this. And so I'm like, you know what? Based on all of that evidence, it simply must be the worst one. (laughs) Um, And when I wrote this blog post, I was uh, in the middle of reading the, you know, the first book in the series, The Lightning Thief. And so it was just really heavy on my mind at that time. And so I was just like, I don't know, maybe I'll watch it. Maybe I won't. Yeah, people were like, do not, do not engage. It'll just make you mad and bored at the same time. Yeah, that's the that's what I gathered from that. So that's the worst one, apparently. Yeah, they also like added in unnecessary racism. Uh, oh no! Yeah. Oh no! Wow, what a what a great choice! <laughs> I made a, an excellent choice. They put Uma Thurman's Medusa in like a, a I think it's called a niqab, like the full body um, hijab type covering. Wow, uh-huh. Yeah, because she's Medusa. <laughs> wow, it's like that's not appropriate. Um, it's god awful they also sorry this is my worst adaptation now um (laughs) they also the characters in the book are 12 years old the characters uh the actors who are playing the characters in the movie are probably like 18 so all of the really Mm. cute awkward things that these children are doing in the books on an 18 year old it's like what are you doing (laughs) what are you doing here Oh man, yeah. So, um I guess I'll let y'all know if I ever watch it, but at this point, uh it's a an intentional choice of mine <laughs> not to do that. Yeah, don't Good worry. About it. Don't You're worry so about strong. It. I am. Look at me go. All right. So, bonus round. <laughs> oh, it's just me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I have another one okay. that I was like trying to decide. Okay, okay, okay. My bonus is Ella Enchanted because, like, there's a couple films out there that are really bad adaptations, but, like, kind of fun movies. I see. And Ella Enchanted is one of those where I love that movie. It's so fun and stupid, but it has nothing to do with the book at all, pretty much. Mm -hmm. That one, it's one of my favorite books of all time. Gail Carson Levine. I love you so much. Um, And actually, it's celebrating its 20th anniversary, I think. The book. Wait. Yeah. I think it was 25th. Oh, 25th. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're um, old. Oof, that's yeah. scary. But yeah, that's an example to me of one of those. And Percy Jackson, same thing to me, where it was like the the all the danger and the darkness and the real the stuff that really draws you into a story was completely just glossed over. And mm-hmm. Ella Enchanted, the the movie really did that. I I thought. <laughs> Dude, I'm remembering how in the Percy Jackson book, the the whole first book is like. They're telling him that he's a demigod, but he's not exhibiting any powers, and we don't know who his godly parent is, and we don't really know what kind of uh, powers he's going to have. And the movie, the very first shot of the entire movie is him holding his breath for like a full like five minutes at the bottom of oh a swimming God. pool, and it's like, wonder what this kid's going to be. <laughs> wow. Yikes. Big ol' yikes. Um, okay, well, my bonus one for best book-to-film adaptation gotta be oh brother where art thou oh oh wow it's like such an adaptation that it made it cool in like a making just the odyssey is like "Eh, exactly done that before we've seen it 
watch that in English class. <laughs> yeah. But I just thought that was like obviously such a clever way to do it. And it's a classic a movie all on its own. And then you find out that it's the Odyssey and you're like, wow, damn, that's awesome. <laughs> Good music too. That's a great example of some one who wanted to make that film or group of people or whatever it was where they they knew they could do something different with mm -hmm. it. Yeah, it's like a bit of a hearkening back to our retellings episode. Yes, I was just thinking about that. Like, if you're just retelling a story, you know, book to film is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But if you're just retelling it and not changing it in any way, book to book, then what's your point? And this is a great, that movie is such a great example of turning it into something different, like having a different way of telling it. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like an opposite example of that. <laughs> um, I learned this recently on a podcast that I'm really enjoying called History of the 90s. Um, everyone, I think, knows by now that The Lion King is the story of Hamlet. Yeah. But that wasn't intentional. I learned on History of the 90s, they got like most of the way through writing and they were like, oh, crap, this is Hamlet. Wait, that's crazy. <laughs> So then they just had to pretend like they were doing that the whole yeah, time. Yeah, they were like, lean in, lean in. And they did a whole like <laughs> Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, like uh, Lion King one and a half and everything. So Amazing. Oh my gosh, that that's funny? hilarious. I did not know that. There's uh, no such thing as original content, you know? Yeah, that's true. Definitely not for Disney. They'll take what they can. <laughs> well, and I also learned, well, okay, this doesn't have anything to do with anything, but they when they were making the Lion King the same year. They were making, I'm pretty sure, Pocahontas. And they were like, well, the Lion King's just going to be our... I guess our bonus movie and the Pocahontas is going to be so cool and amazing. And the Lion King, I guess we'll just give it whatever we got and it won't do very well. But then it was the Lion King, like one of their most successful movies ever. So, Man, that's crazy. <laughs> Listen to History of the 90s. It's fun. And that's how you book. This episode was written and edited by me, Grace Ball. Our logo was designed by Michael Hardison. Our theme music was produced by Jason Hilton. Please check out the show notes for a link to the accompanying blog post.